Dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 817 Podcast. You might be listening to this on the 4th of July or maybe a little bit later in the week. We hope you're having a a good day. Um, And we've got an exciting interview coming out that we teased a little bit last week. But EJ, who do we have talking with us today? So today we have Michael D. Crane, District 3 City Council member uh, to the City of Fort Worth. Really excited to have him on the pod as we're going to discuss all things from uh, the development in his district to short-term rentals. We hit hit several different questions and has a great discussion with Michael. But a little bit about Councilman Crane. He was uh, in various positions within the President George W. Bush's administration. Uh, He also was the chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. He's a real estate broker, and uh, he graduated from Texas A&M Business School. So without further ado, here is Michael Crane. My name is Michael Crane, and I was born here in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Kind of as my story I like to tell is I was born in Harris Hospital, so I was District 9 before some other folks were district nine and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my, my uh, father owned an auto recycling business over off Riverside drive. So I was district eight before some of the others were district eight, um, you know, grew up on Northwest 25th street and district two. So it was district two before that in the North side, and then eventually moved to Saginaw for a little bit. And then over to Eagle Mount Lake uh, where I went to Boswell high school. So I was district seven before some of the other folks from District Seven. <laughs> now I have the <laughs> have the honor and privilege of representing District Three over here on the west side of Fort Worth. So a little bit of me is in all parts of Fort Worth, and and that's what I, I think is is great about this. We moved away from Fort Worth for about fourteen years, moved to Washington D.C. and then Beijing, China, where I was chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy. So I got to see Fort Worth and in, in Texas and you know the United States in general from a different lens, uh, being abroad and and just having a, a different. Uh, I don't know, a, a different cadre of, of friends there from all over the world. And so when it came time after we had adopted our twins uh, to move back to the United States so they could be raised you know, as an American, uh, we looked all over the place of where we wanted to live. And I kept having this feeling of I wanted, I wanted to be raised like I was. I wanted to be raised home. And, and my wife and I, who grew up in South Texas, uh, I, it took a little time. If you, if you can recall, that was along about... 2011, 2012, mm. and Fort Worth was doing a shift at that time. Um, and when we left in 2000, we were not coming back. It was too small of a city. It was too, it just wasn't exciting enough. But in that decade, it, it sort of took off. So uh, we left in 2014 uh, from Beijing and and moved back here and, and just got involved. Awesome. How did, uh, if when Fort Worth would come up in conversations in DC or in Beijing, what was like the reaction to it or uh, what was the perception that people had of it? Yeah. I mean, if, if they even knew what it was, yeah. uh, most of the time they'd say, <laughs> they'd say Dallas, right? You're from Dallas. Even when I went to A&M, the college station, they'd say Dallas. I'd be like, no, I'm from Fort Worth. And I always held that ground. And that's, that was, you know, the days we probably might've been, 250, 300,000 people. Mm. Um, now we're approaching a million. Um, hell, we can't even get our airport to say Fort Worth <laughs> Dallas or DFW. Yeah. We can just at some point say Fort Worth as a part of it, Dallas, Fort Worth airport, or even just Fort Worth. I'd be happy with that too. But, um, yeah, it, it, it overall, um, it's been hard. I, it's been hard across the board to, to you'd see from those examples alone for people to understand um, what a big city we are, how large we are approaching a million people. Um, it really, I think, uh, flabbergasts some people when I say, you know, we're the 12th city or the 13th city, depending on the late, latest you see with the, uh, but we're also the fastest growing big city in the United States. I think it still takes people by surprise. What, um, you, you said you left because, um, it wasn't exciting enough. What makes Fort Worth exciting now to you? Well, I, th- I think if you look across, I, listen, we, I grew up in, you know, lake life and having a great time and pretty much you don't understand at that point, even late where we grew up on the lake wasn't part of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. It, it had been annexed later. Um, but, you know, you kind of have your own little bubble that you live in, but you now look and say there are hundreds, if not thousands of bubbles all over the city with people that are different from each other as the city has grown over the last two decades and it will continue to grow over the next decade. 
Um, so what, for us, for my wife, we looked at, yeah, we were in DC, great, exciting, all things happening. You know, I thought about, gosh, New York would be great. Uh, we spent a lot of time cause it's easy up there, right. Mm-hmm. To get from DC to New York, uh, a lot of time in New York. And, and, but I think eventually what happens when you have children, it just changes your outlook and how you want your life to be. Um, cause it's just not about you anymore and about your enjoyment, your excitement. It's about what, what is the city I live in or where I choose to live offer my children as well. And so for us, that was a shifting moment to say, well, you know, if we go to New York or DC or we could go to LA or Houston or somewhere else, you'd spend a lot more time commuting back and forth mm-hmm. to wherever you're going to go than really living life. And did I really want to be on a train to, cause when you, you know, age with children, you don't really live in New York anymore. You go to a, you know, to a suburb yeah. or somewhere else and you're on the train for an hour and a half. And so you think about I'm losing three hours a day in DC, you don't live, you know, we had a house right on Capitol Hill, but that wouldn't have been satisfactory for two children. Uh, their little, you know, row house, we would have lived out in McLean or Arlington or Alexander or somewhere else. And the commute, that's where my, and the commute wasn't worth it. And then my wife at one point after, you know, the days that we lived in DC, she said, I don't want to work 14, 16 hour days anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to enjoy life and enjoy our kids. And so your question really was about what was exciting about Fort Worth. You just saw restaurants starting to prosper. You saw, you know, before it was chain restaurants, Mm -hmm. that was about it. That's what I grew up going to. But you saw all these chefs start locating here and creating businesses. You saw small businesses that were, you know, in, in, in lack of a better term, funky. They were just different than what we'd seen before. And they weren't the big chain stores. So all of that, I think, was just a vibe that was happening in the early uh, 2010s. And I think it's carried on as it's now just those are part of our fabric of the city. Yeah. Uh, so now we're a year into your city council membership. How do you feel like the first year has been? What have been like some of the big challenges or surprises you feel like you face? What are some uh, big wins you feel like you've had for your community in the city? Well, it feels about a year and 10 years, all, <laughs> five minutes, a year and 10 years, all at the same time. Y'all really. kind of got thrown so, into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. And you know, I, I look at this as a, a moment. It, it really got, I'm getting to live in a moment of history that I don't think other people had or will have where we had six of the nine of us turn over all at the mm-hmm. same time. Uh, we shifted from an average age of 60 to 45 overnight. Uh, there were 20 kids, 14 and under uh, with the council. So it was just a, in essence, a, a generational shift that mm-hmm. I think needed to happen for Fort Worth where, where we are now, where we're, we're, gro- we're going and growing. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to be a, a part of that. Having come in with a, a, some knowledge, have already, you know, had, was the district director for four years under the previous councilman. You know, I, I got a, a really a, a good start pretty quickly. Um, for me, was it a con- continued focus? I, I probably I have what I describe the most um, um, economically diverse district yeah. because I have you know, five million dollar gated communities. And then I've got, you know, you know, uh, Las Vegas Trail and Como at best, 40,000, 50,000 dollar houses um or you know so you know in poverty rate and everything else and so you have whoever sits in this this seat at least for district three has to be able to go into both worlds and have credibility in both worlds and so um i think we've done some great things you know i've, I've picked up the the gauntlet of the las vegas trail area um and and what i've been calling the lbt you know 2.0 uh where we you know, we have we create a pit a public improvement district that brings about three hundred thousand dollars more into you know trash abatement, mm-hmm. into programming, increased programming at the community center, and um, uh, public safety in the area. Um, that was a big win. It took a few years to do it. I just happened to be the one that was able to, to pass it. Um, $3.5 million public improvement grant that goes in there, neighborhood improvement grant, um, that will help with streets and sidewalks and lights, et cetera. Um, we've, um, we're um, reimagining Las Vegas trail, the street itself, and it will be shrunk down. Uh, Norman Delwert comes in, we'll have a a roundabout with a big piece of public art, which is just about giving some hope and aspiration to the people that live there that, Hey, there is some, some, some uh, concentration and emphasis here. And that goes across the, we, there should be a forthcoming announcement too. I can't really spoil it now, but I'll just say this. There is no public health, clinic west of Como. Mm. Uh, so if you think about how far forth has grown, um, there's nothing, nothing west of there. Um, there's a cook children's that's out towards Walsh, but if you look, there's nothing. So 
Uh, probably by the fall, we'll have an announcement there of uh, some pretty uh, transformational change uh, that I'm, I'm excited about. And then you just look, at, look across the board of you know, big wins too. We have the neighborhood improvement grant that went into Como that's streets and lights and sidewalks. And so uh, it's, it's, it's been good to be able to direct some of those things knowing that. And then we have this transformation plan, Las Vegas Trail that we hired a, um, uh, a third party vendor interface studios out of Philadelphia to help us with. And that should be coming out in the next several weeks of all the information they've gathered. We know what the issues are mm. there, but it's good to have it on paper, but we know there's crime. Uh, uh, what is interesting to me is the crime that's there. A lot of it is domestic. It starts domestic and then turns violent. Um, and so with that, to me, it says there's a lot of education that needs to happen, a lot of mental health access that should be available there. And for me, if we can, this is kind of the idea. A lot of the, there is a lot, a lot of people we found do have healthcare there. They just don't use it for preventative care for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And that might be because of access isn't there. So if we can get it solved there, it costs tax. Taxpayers, I'm just making these up. I don't know, but um, a dollar versus waiting until it becomes a larger problem and it mm -hmm. ends up with the taxpayers downtown at JPS and it costs us ten dollars. Yeah. So why are we not trying to solve that problem or help them solve their problems or issues when we can and we know it's an issue before it becomes a larger issue? That's what I've been working on. Could you also kind of give us your take on um, the economic? Uh, development of Fort Worth and as if you know there's been a lot of the convos of how do we land these these Rivians or these these companies and oftentimes your district is going to have to be the the cell Walsh Ranch these spaces um, can you kind of give um, an inside look of what strategy looks like there what kind of what do you feel like are the hiccups or the things that we got to do um, when, when you, when we do have a company in Fort Worth looking at us as a, as a place to either move or to expand. Sure. Well, I have that West side of Fort Worth go all the way out, as you mentioned to Walsh. And I, I think there's differing opinions, right. On urban sprawl and what that looks like. And is it good for the city or not? What I can tell you is people want to live here. People mm -hmm. want to be here in Fort Worth. Um, so it's coming. So we either prepare for it or we don't. And I've talked to every single one of those ranches on the west side of Fort Worth or, you know, their reps, uh, their engineers, et cetera. They are looking at the opportunity that we haven't maybe had in, in a generation or so for big, uh, big moves, big companies. And so, yes, that ties in the economic development piece. We have our chamber along with our own economic department, Robert Stearns, out talking to people and really doing the recruitment to say you want to be in Fort Worth. Uh, you brought up the Rivian deal. What that taught us that is we had never gotten down the road. You know, the Amazon deal that might have been happening. Um, we never got to a real conversation. Mm -hmm. It was we were never made it to the top four or five or whatever. There, it was just like we we wanted it. And we were at the time partnering with Dallas and the greater Metroplex. But we never got down to where we were possibly one of two choices. Um, so what that taught us is we need to actually um, uh, have some process in place. And who's in the room? What's how? What does that look like? Um, so we can have these conversations with these big corporations to get them to relocate. What I'll say is, almost every every right now we have a, a, a tax imbalance. If you if you know what I'm talking about, we have a re residential tax base is paying roughly sixty percent of the property taxes. Mm -hmm. Commercials paying forty percent. We cannot give anybody you know, the, in a residential state, proper tax relief until that's more balanced. Mm. So we, we can cut a penny here and that and half a cent or whatever is we'll probably do this next budget cycle, but it won't be real relief until we um, um, have more commercial. So any major plan developments that happen now um, have a, a, a substantial amount of commercial as part of a residential piece. So that's what you'll see happen in the West side. Um, the Rivian deal that you brought up, what we learned from that was we have two Walsh has 2000 marketable acres for some big commercial development. You cannot find that anywhere else close to a major Metroplex. Yeah. So what we've committed to a city is to continue to get the utilities out there so we can market this as a shovel ready project for someone that's ready to do a Rivian deal, ready to do something like that to create uh, the, the jobs. You know, these are good paying jobs. I, I think, and I don't want to misquote, but I think it was, somewhere in the effect of, you know, minimum or average was $65,000, dollars yeah. these jobs. So that is also part of any economic incentive deal that we do is that these are real paying jobs over time. 
not um, not low paying jobs coming in. So um, that's sort of our, at least the strategy from the city right now is to continue to continue to look at things and things or corporations or other things that want to set up like that. Yeah, kind of talking about like growth, especially in West Fort Worth. Um, there, I think this was from like a week, maybe ten days ago, um, about the potential text dot expansion of I thirty uh, headed west, and uh, some of the potential windfalls of that, as far as like pollution and how close to highways, like some of the schools are located, and all of that. Um, have you gotten the chance to hear from like people in your district about that yet? Or what is like the uh, mood or just what you're hearing from them about potential expansion and multi-year construction on I-30 going out that way? Yeah. I mean, it depends on, on where you live. Yeah. Right. So there's, and it, for your, for your listeners, just to talk about, this is a, a expansion of 30 that really runs from downtown West. Um, you know, past Ridgemar, Ridgemar Mall, um, all the way out to, you know, 820, um, and then west of 820 further. Um, and anybody that lives on one side of the 820, if you're familiar with driving there, it will sometimes get backed on all parts of the day. So yeah. it's not just around rush hour, et cetera, where it, it bottlenecks under 820. So if you're trying to get into or outside of 820, we've got to do something to alleviate that. The unfortunate part is that that mix master, for lack of a better term, it's wall to wall. So you can't just put another lane there. You've got right. to reimagine that. So I know on the outside of 820, what TxDOT, I think from that article, it quoted about a billion dollars to mm -hmm. do this whole project. So I know people have designs and plans, but I have not heard. And I think it says in the, that article that you referenced that there is no money for the project, yeah, but they yeah. know the project needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that. I love when people say, yeah, we know it, but we don't really have the money for it. Like, okay. <laughs> Well, then you just get people excited about it or angry about it when it's not even a reality yet. So, yeah. um, but this has been a multi-year uh, approach. So every, outside of 820, I think is the easiest part for them to do because there is some land. Um, and part of it is simple changes in front of Lost Creek, Brumbaugh's on the south side there of 30. It would change that to one one way. Mm -hmm. um, it probably needs to be done anyway. Those are you know, more rural areas have you know, two way on the same side of the of major interstate. But that's not rural anymore, even though there's there's still open space. Yeah. It's, it's not a, a rural area. Um, and so those are easy changes. Um, as far as uh, and in getting close to neighborhoods, uh, that probably uh, gets close to when you're talking about Ridgely North and Ridgemar. Um, there may be, and, and it, it sounds like it's at least alluded to, um, I don't want to get people up in arm, but if you're going to expand 30 there, it does go into some houses. Mm. So, but I think everybody understands that, um, an expansion of, of 30, like we're doing it with 20 on the other side is probably necessary. We're just a major, we're not only a major city, but also a major uh, thoroughfare that people are getting from east to west. And so, um, but I, I think they'll do it sensitively. You know, that would be a major project with TxDOT, with the national, you know, the C Central Texas Council of Governments and with the city to a certain extent. But um, as you know, we're, uh, we're a growing city and people love, we love our cars. So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, it will, it will come, but I, I think we've got to give some relief. Um, I mean, I'll drive sometimes and the, 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 it gets backed up from eight twenty all the way to Ridgemar mall or Ridgemar. Mm -hmm. So that's mile and a half, two miles where you're going maybe 15 miles an hour. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, well, continuing on like the articles that have been out, um, I know city council just kind of had a meeting around the $28 million stimulus spending and, you know, maybe how that was shared with you guys, what was decided on, um, and then other council members wanting things funded for in their spaces. Can you kind of give, um, context of how do you see that moving forward and, and, and maybe, um, how you guys look to move forward from the article? Sure. The, um, you know, our work session last Tuesday, that, that was the first time most of us had seen those recommendations. And that's really not one way to do business. Uh, and I think staff understand that now that it, we, this money I'm looking at, and I think most of my colleagues, it is once in a lifetime money. Yeah. Mm. It, it is not coming back. We're not getting this again. We're not, it's not, it's not, it, it's, it's once we're getting it. So we need to be wise with what we're doing it. And we've, 
already, and I've supported um, other uh, initiatives that we've done, you know, building permanent supportive housing that we know we need to, to help some folks. I've been okay with that. I've been okay with, um, uh, you know, the expansion, what we did during um, COVID and, you know, David Cook, to his credit, city manager, took a lot of these major projects off the table and short of our budget. And so when we came out of COVID, we were one of um, a few cities that I know and have that looked and we, our budget was okay. We had done a good job. So we're able to take that money and put those major projects, one being the convention center, mm-hmm. the convention center expansion. Um, I like the idea that we're using this for income generating projects um, or projects that might take uh, a longer time to do, or they're, you know, major bond projects. There are parameters on how we can spend this money, but we put the, the convention center expansion back on it. We've needed it for a long period of time. We have, uh, and I, I don't know the numbers, uh, but it's, it's something like for every dollar spent in tourism, it's $5 to the local economy. It might be more than that, but that's what we have to do as a city. If we're looking at, again, um, trying to relieve, you know, that to me, that leads back to property tax relief. That mm-hmm. if we're have more of that kind of income coming, that's not our citizens dollars. It's other people coming here and spending that money. It might be someone, you know, y'all going mm-hmm. date night or somewhere and, and, and stay at the Omni and have a pay your hotel occupancy tax. It might be some local folks, but for the most part, it is, uh, in, in my, in my, you know, it's money coming from outside Fort Worth to help Fort Worth. So I think that was the confusion at this last, uh, work session was, why is this just the first time we're seeing it? Mm-hmm. And I said something, I was like, I think we got to step back, but because I want people to realize this, this is still taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. It's not, it just didn't rain out of the sky. Yeah. You, I, all your families have paid in. It just went to the federal government and the federal government's giving it back to you. So let's be wise because when it's gone, it's gone. And I think there were some things sort of thrown on there that um, might need a, a relook um, and might be able to get the funding needed uh, at a, at a, at a different time. And, and other than the timeline, I'll say this, other than the, the timeline to, to have projects ready, we're not in a hurry. To, I'm not in a hurry to spend that money. Mm-hmm. So the County might be, and so that would be a question for them, but, but I'm not in a hurry from the city perspective to spend that money, unless I know it really is. And they talked about it, non-revenue and revenue generating activities. Um, and I won't speak for, you know, mayor pro Tim Bivens, but she's got real concerns of people drowning and real infrastructure on her side of of the city. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that none of that was included in in any of that funding kind of, I mean, obviously upset her if you, if you watched it and and I don't blame her. That's why I was, I was willing to back her up of these are the kind of things we should probably be looking at versus some of the other things that were included. Mm. So You've alluded to the budget cycle a couple times. Obviously, last year when y'all were coming into it, it was kind of like, oh, we're sworn in and all of a sudden like the budget is kind of already set and we're figuring this out. How is the cycle started a little differently for you being a year into city council now for the upcoming budget process? Yeah, I think something to understand and i'm not 100 percent that my colleagues understand this is the budget cycle starts as, as soon as we pass the other budget yeah. so in october end of september when we pass for october the new budget cycle starts staff starts getting together starts getting the recommendations together um starts putting that on the table uh for what needs to be done so i know i knew that uh what i started advocating with staff are problem areas or things that i knew needed to continue to have a focus you know, we know there's infrastructure issues still in Como. Great. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure we continue to focus on that. We know that there, um, you know, my district, especially there's going to be the growth. So are we looking at how we're funding all of the, the streets and roads in that area? Um, especially everything outside of 820. Um, I have Chapel Creek right now and they have constantly, uh, you know, what I've said on, across the board is um, we, I'm not going to be for sure not going to be sitting in the seat in 10 years. Someone else is going to be having all this fun that I get to have. And by fun, I'm going to do air quotes. <laughs> There's a little bit of fun and a whole lot of BS that happens, but, um, but I, we're not, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I don't want to leave that person, whomever it is playing catch up as we're trying to do in the North part of Fort Worth. They did not build east west arterials for the, for those folks. They just built and built and built. And it, it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't, anybody in particular, it wasn't, they didn't look at it holistically, that it's going to be built out. We know what the master plan says. 
So let's plan what the city should as part of that. So those are the conversations I've been having on the, the west side of Fort Worth is they've got to have north-south arterials to get to the major interstates. Right now in Chapel Creek area, there's really two ways out, Chapel Creek and White Settlement Road. Mm. Those are the only two ways out of that whole, and we are building there. So that is on that, and some of that takes coordination with COG and, and um, with TxDOT, but that's been on, on there. Um, so really the, the process starts before I've you know, uh, asked for some increased funding for our parks uh, and I'm asked for increased funding, especially uh, this bomber spur project I've been working on. There's money put in the, the, the bond about 3 million. We've got 3 million from COG. This is, if you, if you know the, the trails um, it right at Vickery where there's a Walmart right there at Vickery and 183, basically mm-hmm. the trails in, and on the west side and they don't pick up again until maybe around the, the base. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a spur that was created back um, in the forties to get. And if you, if you drive me over 183, you'll kind of go across a railroad track, but there's no railroad on it. That's the spur. It would bring parts from one depot up to the base. And if you completed that and we have, we're doing some quieting a title uh, there. Uh, we've got to get over 30. That's the biggest chunk of money but it would create a 26 mile loop around the city of Fort Worth on the mm. trending trails for those homes in bomber Heights, where you back up to the trail, I can tell you right now, their property values will go up Yeah, uh, because people want to live on that trail. They can open their door, open the back gate and get on a bike. And that's one of our struggling neighborhoods that I represent too. So I, I think it'd be a game changer for them as well. So uh, overall it's, it's, it, it's that process starts, you know, a year ago and really what's coming forward is now. And, and I'll say this. It's not necessarily just about uh, specific asks and dollar wise. It's really about policy. Like what things do you want to see? And that really helps David and staff drive the budget that they bring back to us. How does, um, you said it's about policy. How does policy navigating policy in Fort Worth differ than navigating policy in DC? Um, (laughs) wow. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think the tenants are, the same uh, in that really it's about building coalitions, right? It's about building people that, uh, and I, I'm a firm believer there's more across. I don't care what your party is. I don't care what your affiliations are. I don't care. We, there's more um, that are alike about us than they're different. Um, you know, I can talk, speak to my colleagues. I think there was a big misnomer that, that certain, certain ones of us would fight because maybe ideologically we didn't see the same. But as you know, there's a lot of the the political that isn't city related. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when you when you and in my opinion, when you peel up, peel away that rhetoric, and it, it's not something that then you get down to the heart of where um, you sit. And so, you know, I, I'm you know I, I still think it's possible at least to be conservative but have compassion and common sense. Conservative away with taxpayer dollars, what you're doing with those dollars, where those go, but compassion to understand there are people that are not like me. And there are people not like you and there are other people that have different needs and, and again, in, in recognition that we are a large city and that I think there's still people that think we're 200,000 people, but yeah. we're not, we're a million people almost. And so that's where that common sense comes into of this is sometimes just the right thing to do. And so I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I think the uh, maybe what I still appreciate about the city level is we're not, politically polarized here that we um, understand differences. And, you know, my colleagues were out doing things this weekend that I wasn't necessarily doing. And they, I was doing things they weren't necessarily doing. I was cutting ribbons at a kaboom uh, playground at Western Hills elementary, but that's, that's everybody's sort of right to do so. But in the end, we all, I think, respect each other uh, and, and get along at least maybe, you know, we don't always all hang out, but we all understand at least uh, the motivations of each person and, and mm-hmm. what they're trying to accomplish and understanding too, that we all represent different people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when one of my colleagues says something or does something, I know that he needs to say those things. It's not personal to me. It's not personal to anything else or any, it, he needs to ha- have that message for his, uh, his constituents. I mean, and much like me at the work session, when I said, wait, I think we've got to step back and look at this because these are taxpayer dollars. I needed my constituents to hear that, that I'm looking at their taxpayer dollars. That's my biggest job. Outside public safety is my biggest job to make sure that the city is spending their money wisely. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should do that. It doesn't mean we agree on where the money should be spent every time. It just means we have a conversation 
about what that looks. And we all are in agreement of sorts. And we all may not be a non-zero vote, but all in agreement that that's a wise expense of those dollars. Mm. You want to uh, move into short-term rentals? Yeah, um, I know the city is. <laughs> I know the city is uh, starting its, uh, I guess, campaign for pu- like public engagement process, uh, July fifth. What kind of what's kind of the expectation, or what is even just if you could set the situation for the average listener? Um, what's going on with short term rentals, aka the Airbnbs of the world, and people who do that, or people who stay in those. Rather than the Omni, um, what does that what does that look like for Fort Worth? Yeah, probably back in September at a work session, the, the mayor we were talking about something, and, and this issue got brought up, and she sort of she charged staff. She goes, "We got to do something about it." The, the issue is we have we do have a just so no misnomers with folks. We have a short term rental ordinance on the books. It basically says. A short-term rental is anything less than 30 days. So short-term rentals, as as you or I might use, that you know you go for a weekend or go for a week with family, those are um, outside certain, maybe I would say commercial zones mm-hmm. are not allowed in the city of Fort Worth, and those are those have been set aside um, those zones. Um, and so, what got brought up is, you know, we if you Google right now or go to VRBO or Airbnb or whatever platform you use you'll see that there are tons of, of short-term rentals available in the city of Fort Worth. We do not have the, the code enforcement staff to go to every single one of those. And with the process as it sits now, imagine they, get, they have to go, hi, you know, um, are you allowed to be here? Yes. Can you show me your lease? So someone pulls up uh, the lease. Some have gotten smart, uh, some of, the, some of the, the owners, and they give them a, a 30-day lease. They may only be staying there for three or four days, but they, they you show it to our code and the code goes, okay. And then they leave because they're legally that they've, they've mm-hmm. satisfied. Um, but even if you're there and they're only there for two or three days, by the time you get through the adjudication process, those people are gone. So it's really an unenforceable ordinance uh, by the time you go and you cite them or you go here. So when the mayor brought this up, I was in agreement too. listen, I I've been, pretty public with this. I use short-term. My wife and I, our family use short-term rentals when we go into cities. Do I look up to see if they're illegal, legal or illegal? I don't. I just use the platforms uh, that we use to find them. And I understand they're not for everybody. I think the real issue comes down to, and I haven't made my decision. Staff is coming back and I haven't been clear with people because I've had neighborhoods say, you've already made your decision. I was like, I'm waiting on staff. We, We set policy. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Staff outlines what those policy choices can be. And then we'll have a discussion as council, what makes the most sense. I've got one vote. So everybody else, you know, I don't know where they sit either. Um, but I, but you know, they're looking at what's uh, best practices in other cities. They're looking at national league of cities has, has promulgated some information on short-term rentals. Um, but I think the great divide really comes into private property rights. What can I do with the property I own as long as it's not offending any other properties versus um, I don't want that in my neighborhood. I don't want mm-hmm. a new guest every week in my neighborhood. And so I, I, maybe it's a generational divide. I don't know. Maybe there's a, there's a fear uh, of that. And that's where we're trying to work through. I want to, as I've had conversations with people that are against it, I want to have a rational conversation. Not that my sister's brother's aunt's uncle heard about a party house down the road and someone got hurt, but what was the real issue? And I think the real issue is that these have been left somewhat unchecked. So there's platform account- accountability, you know, us putting agreements in place with the major platforms um, that then have the ability if they aren't registered with the city and, you know, there's a registration system with the city that they pull them off the platform that gives more accountability on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, also just understanding how the rental process works and, you know, people are rated on both sides. So yeah, I guess you can set up a fake account. You can do all that to get a house and, but there's a thousand of those. You could do this. Yeah. But, but I, what I tell some of these folks are also the story of a couple of stories. The, the kids that have come in um, to, for the rodeo, you know, that really the stock show part of the rodeo, they spent thousands of dollars on their pig or their animal and they want to be close. And so I had a chat chat with this 13 year old girl. Who's like, yeah, my family got this because at any moment's notice, we need to be here in about 10 minutes because it's feeding times during things, but also, uh, we have family that are coming in so they can stay with us. 
Um, so, so yes, we use it because of that, because it's more economical. We have to be here for three weeks. It doesn't make sense to sit in a hotel for three weeks. Um, and then the other side of during colonial, I was walking with one of the golf golfers and he was pointing to, he was like, I'm staying in the house over there. I was able to rent it for the two weeks that we have to be here and all the appearances they have to do outside just playing golf. And he said, but my whole family's here, my teams, my bros, everybody's mm-hmm. here with me and close. And so for every one bad story, there's, you know, a thousand good stories of families or people that have had great experiences in these. And so it's a real balance. How do we not affect negatively neighborhoods? And I'm committed to doing that, but at the same time, um, uh, help protect people's private property rights. You kind of see this also, I think a lot of the, the, the outcry or the, um, frustration about it though, is as well around corporate purchases of, of, of homes and, um, now for people to just want to buy a home to live in rather than to a second home to Airbnb out. Um, what do you think is the impacts of, of short-term rentals or Airbnbs on the housing market for first time home buyers, which, you know, if the average Fort Worthian is in their early thirties, they're probably looking to do, um, what is kind of your take on the impacts of where Airbnb and that kind of goes and what the city is learning about that from that angle? Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt, obviously, if you take a house and turn it into a short-term rental versus an actual owner or a long-term lease, you're taking housing out out of the, off the market. Um, And that's obviously something we have to worry about. There was an article out there about one of the major publications here that I I think I wish they would have dug a little deeper. The headline was half the stories, half the homes are uh, purchased by corporations. What, what they didn't outline in there, and I, the house I'm in right in my house was bought by a corporation, updated, flipped, and then sold to a, pri- a single family as a single family residence. So I wish they would have parsed that data instead of uh, just making a headline, because that headline is what's making around. See, how, you know, half the homes are now gone. They've been purchased by corporations, uh, supposedly for, and, and that's the follow-up question, were they short-term rentals? Were they long-term leases? Mm-hmm. Or were they actually flipped again to private private families? Um, and, and so I, I think you're going to see that number come down. The, I will just say this, um, being a real estate broker, um, looking at this from that perspective, it, we are in a housing somewhat crisis. Um, but I also know there's more inventory coming on because of the demands there. It's, it's a good and bad problem. People want to live here. People are at a point that they can afford homes. Uh, we're also trying to catch up in, in, in the apartments market. And there's really a whole missing middle that we've got to really focus on. Yeah. That's something maybe from the city we can incentivize in some way to, so people build that. Um, and that's a discussion we should be having. But no doubt we're in a housing crunch here in, 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 the, in the Fort Worth and the, the Metroplex. But I don't believe they're all being turned over into short-term rentals, which is that rational conversation I want to have that they're not necessarily coming off the market. I mean, it just it's simple economics. You, with the house that you own or you're trying to own, you may or may not own it outright, but you still have taxes you have to pay on it. Mm-hmm. And if it's not your, if it's not your, you don't get the homestead exemption, if it's not your homestead. Um, you also have just the upkeep and maintenance that you have on it. So when you start doing simple economics, there are certain places in certain neighborhoods that will never be touched by a short-term rental because you can never get that. And I, I think those are the voices we're hearing from of people scared of in, in bigger homes, et cetera, um, that, that those are the real voices I think we're hearing. Um, we're not hearing from the neighborhoods that likely will be touched because mm-hmm. I just don't think they're paying paying attention. Uh, but at the same time, I do know this: if you have a short term rental, unlike a long term lease or a, your own home, you have to keep that property up or maintained, or people will not pay to stay in that home. Yeah, and so that it just that part of it too is I want people to understand you can drive. I've got three long term leases on my block. And they are not the best kept houses. They don't have to be. The, the owners made a purchase. So we're not even talking about that part, but it is, it is, I think there's a lot of fear out there. And I think there's a conversation to be had if people could step back and just have a rational one. And sometimes I say, you know, go talk to your kids, your nieces and nephews and ask them, have they ever used one? Have they stayed in one? What have you done? I think that people will understand it's a little more widely popular um, but it is a little bit, they don't want it in their backyard. So we've got to figure out a way to balance property, you know, private property rights at the same time, not, um, degrade, degra- degrading, uh, neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. We, my wife and I in 2017 and 2018 used to rent out our guest bedrooms on Airbnb and we were shut down by the city because 
somebody in our neighborhood found out apparently didn't like it never even came to have a conversation with us or anything and then all of a sudden we have a code compliance thing on our door saying if you continue doing it past this date you're going to get a fine of five thousand dollars a day we're like oh okay i guess we can't do this but uh (laughs) within the like 10 months we were doing it we hosted people from 20 countries like 35 different states uh and uh, it's a great way to have a local person show the city to you um and so i'm for one excited to see the city and city council like actually take this on uh because after our incident i tried to reach out you know got the pass around from different people to different agencies and so i've been eagerly waiting for city council to take this on for four or five years now so i appreciate that it's not just uh swept under the rug, ignored thing at this point. Again, it goes back to my opinion that we are a large city yeah, and we have problems like every other large city. And what I've, what I've appreciated about this council is that we're not afraid to at least try and address them, that things are being brought up that have maybe simmer, simmered or been working under the surface for a long period of time. And that this is one of them um, that, it, you know, and, and I, I don't, look at changing ordinances lightly. There, there was a thought process that went into what those ordinances were. I mean, if they, but, but if it makes sense, then mm-hmm. we should do it. I mean, another example is uh, one of the coolest things I got done this year is that it came to my attention that you, you could not charge for backyard swimming lessons. Mm-hmm. That this, this, the way our ordinance was written, uh, you could not, unless it was taught inside a structure or uh, the, the, the paid um, activity was inside a structure. So you could work on cars in your backyard. You could do as long as it was contained in a structure that was fine, but teaching kids to swim was not because the pool wasn't considered a structure under our ordinance. So we had some neighbors that were upset about a pool and, and just the, the, the general sense, but I, as a policy matter, kids should be getting drowning prevention activities wherever they can get them. Yeah. Sometimes it, it's not that the mom can drive them across the, the, you know, to the other side, to the Y or wherever you're going to do it or forest park pool. It might be convenient to walk down the street for their schedule to, to get those, you know, my own children even took scuba diving lessons inside someone's pool, but that would have been illegal per that. So um, those kind of things, I think, you know, we should change when they just don't make sense for how people are getting it. And when it's a good public policy move Mm. that people, kids should be learning to, to swim and not drown wherever they can get that. I don't care if it's in your neighbor's pool or in a big pool or private lessons or whatever, but um, we've got to, that was just, it was an easy one. It took a little, there was some neighborhood that thought again, it was, it was going to be more prolific and set up businesses in everybody's backyard, but it, it just isn't the case. So that was a, that was a good move. Awesome. Uh, well, I would, I guess, close it off kind of the, the, the interview. I, I would love kind of any. Uh, Our fun's uh, over already. <laughs> hey, I feel like we went, I know, I can't believe it's only, it's only uh, been 40 minutes because I feel like we've gone through a lot. Uh, but I, I, but I do have like, you know, I think one, I, I respect, you know, I feel like how you approach your job. And I think regardless if people agree or disagree with how you, how you look at the, the world or, or your role, I feel like the, the, the readiness, the proactiveness, the, the response rate, uh, really personally notice it and really appreciate that as a citizen of Fort Worth. Uh, I would love to know like your advice or your take, because I feel like you're great at that. Maddie's been great at that. Uh, I feel like navigating a, like you said, a polarizing world. Advice for people from even new Fort Worthians who didn't grow up here and lived in every cranny of, of Fort Worth like you did. What is your advice for people like me and Jimmy who, you know, are new Fort Worthians who are coming to this city? How could we see the full Fort Worth story? And you've been always generous to reach out to me or say, hey, if I need help asking questions uh, about Fort Worth that we don't understand, that you were a source. So I would just love more kind of feedback on how um, have you successfully been a bridge between the Fort Worth you grew up to, to all these newcomers here. Um, What is your advice on how to walk that bridge? Yeah, I mean, I would talk. I mean, (laughs) I think we, we, we end up um, being polarized because we, we talk or we get in our own um, circle of people that, well, 
they have the same opinion, so they're right. Uh, that That isn't actually the case. Just because someone shares your opinion doesn't mean they're right, because I can give you a million examples of that <laughs> where that is not the case. And so I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, per, there's a group called Texas Lyceum. It's made up of 96 directors, all from the state of Texas, and we all have different political affiliations, et cetera. I enjoy going to those conferences that I go to because it enlightens me. May may not change my opinion on what I think, but it enlightens me to where other people, how other people think. And I think we got to do that here on a microcosm in Fort Worth, where we break out of the same four, eight, ten people that we we always hang out with. And I try and do that as much as I can because I know that, again, as I said earlier, there's more that that we have in common than we are different. And we might have our own sort of of thoughts. And yeah, you know, using I'll use an example. Um, you know, I know you kind of give the rodeo some some shit sometimes, <laughs> but how can I say that? Um, but <laughs> but but it is a part of Fort <laughs> uh, part of Fort Worth fabric. And what I'll say is. There, it is. I grew up going to the rodeo. Um, you know, going to play tic tac toe with the chick mm-hmm. chickens that always beat me inside the the, the stock mm-hmm. show piece of it. But there, there are people that that is their a tradition for them, and it doesn't mean it's to the exclusion of other traditions. It just means that this is something that they do as a family. And then, and the rodeo itself built, brings in you know millions and millions of dollars and tourism dollars into into the city. That's a great thing. But I don't think that's exclusive from other things that can happen. Mm. Uh, and I think we just have to understand that, that as, as a city, um, and, and again, there is a lot of uh, enlightenment, I guess is the best word that needs to happen for a lot of people. But um, as you just looking at the map, you see how big Fort Worth is. And not everybody's going to think the same about every single thing. Doesn't mean they're right. or doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means that um, the way we, we maybe muscle through is to continue to have conversations and open dialogue and not get angry. I mean, we, it, it doesn't do any good for someone to get angry just because someone doesn't see the way they do it. I haven't walked in anybody else's shoes except mine. Right. And no one else has walked in any shoes except their own. So the more we can understand the, the path those shoes have traveled, uh, the more we can understand, okay, I, I'm maybe right. 60% of the time. Uh, but, you know, uh, but, but there's other viewpoints or, and we can all live where this, the, all, all truths exist in the same space. Uh, it just is the view that we're looking. And so I hope we continue to do that as a city. And I, I will say that over the course of, you know, my at least five years being involved in public policy in the realm that I'm doing, you see that there's more outreach. And I think it's an altruistic outreach of, we want to make the city the best that we can. In essence, that means bring as many voices to the table as uh, as we can. It, it doesn't mean that everybody around the table is going to agree, but it means the, the voices are heard. And so I would say that the people that don't believe that their voices are being heard, then figure out how to outreach and maybe not make it an anger. I know that comes out of point of frustration, of the of feeling of always trying to do it and it not being heard. But I know, at least for me or my colleagues, and you mentioned the mayor, um, we want to hear what's going on. Um, we want to hear how we can help and what we can do and and keep making, you know, as I say, move forward, forward. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, again, thanks for always offering to be a resource to us. Thanks for coming on and having this conversation. Uh, it means a lot when we can bring someone who is in the room and share perspective outside of what we can just see through the news and get further insight into things. So we really do appreciate it. Thanks, CJ. Thanks. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate y'all having me on. Well, thanks again to Councilman Crane for coming on, spending a a Sunday morning with us and having this conversation. Uh, What do you have any any thoughts about anything you said? I think it went by, you know, why I really like that interview is that we hit a lot of important topics uh, in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a, a pod that if you haven't heard a lot of our pods in the podcast, I feel like it's just a good one to get a synopsis of the things we talk about and getting connected with someone who actually knows more about it from the inside. Uh, so that's good. And I also know Michael's a podcast listener. So I feel like the way he was answering was also aware of like, he had historical data on how we talk about the pod, which also makes, I think makes a good interview. What about you? Yeah, I think, well, one, I think we 
both give credit to him during the campaign season running up to the election. The previous council person that he had worked for, Brian Bird, went pretty far right in his run for mayor. Um, and so we had potential concerns of, is it does this person veer the same way? Um, how are they going to look at a district that, like he said, is really separated racially and socioeconomically? Um, but I feel like he has really stepped up in doing what is best for a lot of his district, um, especially continuing a lot of strong work in Las Vegas trail and just having a lot of common sense conversations like he talked about. Uh, So we definitely tip our hat to him for his first year in office and uh, easing a lot of potential doubts or fears about what, he could be stepping into that seat, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think what's cool about it is from a maybe political perspective or or how what we talk about the pod, he could probably be probably a most opposite or most different interv- guest we've had on the pod. Uh, I don't know, like thinking about our guest. Uh, and so just I think it's important for Fort Worth to have conversations like this where you could have different ideologies or different viewpoints and be able to still have a relationship in the sense of like being friends, but also being like, hey, we're going to have a discussion about this difficult city, which is a uh, purple city and having to navigate that, uh, which I think the city council as a whole um, navigates that pretty well. Yeah. Well, thanks again to Michael for coming on. Thanks for listening. And uh, uh, we'll we'll see you next week. Swipe, 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 swipe.